Okay, that was a, just a, uh, I hope you think a really excellent video that tells a little bit of the, the backstory uh, of Exodus, uh, which is a book, the second book in the Bible. Uh, we started teaching through it um, a while ago now, so I thought we'd have that video to recap, because actually the last time we were in the book of Exodus together was over a year ago. So just to bring you back up to speed with where we got to and to tell some of the story coming in, that just gives a really helpful overview. And another thing I just want to recommend is this book uh, called Echoes of Exodus by uh, Andrew Wilson and Alistair Roberts, which um, tells how the story of Exodus isn't just a standalone story, but actually the themes and the story itself flows all the way through the Bible. And you see moments of this Exodus story coming to life all through scripture, uh, particularly in the life of Jesus himself. So I'd thoroughly recommend you get that book and have a read of it. It's a really short book. It's only about 180, 200 pages. Each chapter is only about four or five pages. So it's the sort of book you can just read over a coffee for five minutes every morning and treat it as a bit of a devotional thing to help you in your walk with God. Um, what we're going to do now, just to help us again, just to get back into this story, is we're going to have a little bit of a recap this week of the Exodus story, uh, and I'm just going to read a few verses from, not from the book of Exodus, but actually from Hebrews, which is in the New Testament. So this is Hebrews 11 from verse 23 to 29. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for this wonderful, vivid, exhilarating story, um, this true story of what you did a few thousand years ago with a, a, a group of people in a faraway country, but we thank you it speaks so powerfully into our lives today and tells us some amazing story of how you've led us out of sin and slavery and death and led you into the promised land of knowing our Father in heaven intimately and personally. We pray as we continue to work through this book together over the coming weeks and as we look at it today, you'd speak to us and do us good, we pray. Amen. Amen. As you can see from that video and from the passage itself, and I'm sure you've 
read the story of Exodus or have heard of it at least. It's this wonderful, uh, exciting story. You know, if it was just a fairy tale or a myth, it would be, it would be exciting enough. But I guess the question I want to look at today is, is, is it more than just a nice story? You know, is it more than just a drama? Uh, does it actually have anything to say to us today other than just kind of entertainment that we could watch in a movie or read in a book? But is there something in this story that, that profoundly speaks to us? Um, and I believe that it does. So first of all, it's, uh, the, the Exodus story is important because it, it tells us about God. It's the story of God in many ways. Because you might think if you wanted to understand who God is, that the first place you would go to would be to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at the start of the New Testament, which are these, these eyewitness accounts. It's like the kind of the news reporter from the scene telling us what happened, telling us about the life of Jesus. That might be a good place to start. Or you might think you would, you would want to turn to the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to various churches where he begins to kind of unpack and explain doctrine and theology, what we believe and why we believe it. If you wanted to understand God, that might be a good place to start. Or maybe you turn to the Psalms. These beautiful songs and hymns and poems sharing intimately and in very vivid and exciting, wonderful language who God is. Maybe you turn to that place. And the temptation for many of us would be, would be to avoid stories like this or even the Old Testament itself because, well, you know, it's old, isn't it? It's the clues in the names. The Old Testament is old. So why do we want to go there for? But actually, 75, well, over 75% of your Bible is the Old Testament. Three quarters of it is the Old Testament. And for Jesus and his disciples and the early church that we read about in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, that's what they had. <laughs> the New Testament was still being written, you know, through their lives. So what they read as their scripture, how they learned about God, was completely the, the Old Testament. It was this story that they were feeding on and learning about God through. And you can't really, if you want to understand even the, the New Testament in the Bible, you can't really understand it fully until you've understood the Old Testament. They bring life to one another and everything that we want to know about God to fully understand the nature of God and who he is, to understand his love for us. You've got to understand the Old Testament. You've got to understand stories like, like this, like the Exodus story. But sometimes these things, these kind of narrative stories can be confusing because it seems to be a story about Moses and Pharaoh and the Israelites and the Egyptians and kind of plagues and thunder and clouds and blood. And in, in Hollywood movies, you know, the central character would be, would be Moses or they might talk about the relationship between Moses and Pharaoh or Moses and Aaron, that's the sort of things they would pick out. That's where the Hollywood movies focus in on. But the Bible focuses in on how this tells us about God. He's the central character in this story. Because it's a story that shows us the, the character of God. It talks about his mercy and his justice, his holiness, his compassion. About how God is firm and steadfast uh, a movable, 
a God of great love for us, powerful, unstoppable. Because the temptation sometimes amongst Christians, or maybe even if you're here and you're not a believer at all, you might think the Old Testament paints a picture of this angry God of judgment, and the New Testament paints a picture of this God of love and kindness. You know, in the New Testament, we meet Jesus. But actually, that's not what it's like at all. Perhaps the most fundamental statement in the Bible about God is this, which is towards the end of Exodus. It says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So the Old Testament, to, for us to even understand mercy and grace, we have to understand the, the covenant that God made with his people, with Abraham and with Moses, this covenant of grace that doesn't just begin in the New Testament but starts in the Old Testament and works all the way through. And actually, you know, sometimes if we think the Old Testament is all about death and hell and judgment, actually, you know, in the Bible, Jesus said more about hell than anybody else did. <laughs> As Simon was saying earlier, Jesus said more about money than anybody else did. All the uncomfortable subjects that we want to avoid, Jesus brings them right out and puts them on the table. We like to think is this kind of nice, polite, you know, well, English people think that because we like to consider ourselves as polite, that Jesus is just kind of nice, friendly, apologetic guy, but he wasn't at all. He was loving, yes, but he told people what, what, not what they wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear. He tells us what we need to hear. So to think of the New Testament as the good bit and the Old Testament as the bad bit is completely misunderstanding the story of the Bible, that all the way through there's this unfolding story of God and his plan for all of his creation that just flows through all of Scripture and can feed us in so many different ways. And even, you know, that when, when Jesus... After his resurrection, there's a moment where he sits down with some of his disciples and opens up the scriptures and, and, and explains to them how to read the Bible. You can read about it in Luke 24, where it says this, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What Jesus does is he, he opens up the Bible Moses, so he would have sat down with them and taught the Exodus story, and he taught them that it not only tells them about God, but he said it, it, it tells them about me. He was saying, Jesus is saying, this is about me. This is about Jesus. The Exodus story tells us not only about the nature of God the Father, but who God the Son is and what he's done for us. It's this beautiful story that comes to life. It's the story of God. And it's also... It's, it's the story of us. It's the story of us. It says that, it, that uh, in the New Testament, that it says in 1 Corinthians, now these things happened, it's referring to this story, happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. This story is recorded, it's there for our benefit. That's why it's in the Bible, because God decided that we needed to hear it for our instruction, to help us, to guide us. You know, in, in Hebrews 12, 
the start of Hebrews 12, which follows on from Hebrews 11, which we read about earlier, and the whole chapter of Hebrews 11 is this list of all these great heroes of the faith, that by faith what they achieved, what they did, and then it, it says this, therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those people in Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we're to read this story, and it gives us some lessons, some tips about how to run the race with endurance, about how to follow God, about how to live by faith, to live as believers in Jesus. This Exodus story is here for our example. But it's important that we recognize that we're not Moses. Because it's very easy to read a story like this and to pick up on this kind of hero figure uh, and think, oh, I want to be like him. You know, that's how our, our hearts kind of run to. We see this hero and we think, yes, I'm going to be like that guy. But actually, Moses, <laughs> when you read the story of Moses, what his life really tells us about Jesus. And if we want to read about us in the Exodus story, actually the best people to, to look at is the Israelites themselves. That that's where we see what our lives are like. That's where we learn about ourselves, is learning about the Israelites. Because in many ways, if you read the story, and, uh, and this will come up again and again, as, as they're heading out now, we, just, we got to Exodus 14, we'll pick it up again next week in Exodus 15, and then they move out into the wilderness, and then you find that the Israelites, they moan a lot. <laughs> that they grumble they complain. On one moment, they're believing and they're trusting in God. And then seemingly minutes later, or at least in the next verse in the Bible, they're moaning again. They're, they're grumbling and they're complaining. And then they flip back and they're trusting in God. And then suddenly they're moaning and grumbling and complaining. And we can, we can sit here and kind of stand in judgment on them and say, oh, come on, guys, like, you know, get to the end of the story. You know, we, we know how it finishes. So we're like, come on, you get to the promised land eventually, pull it together. But the reality is we're, we're exactly the same. You know, we, we, we trust in God and we pray and we bring our, our worries to him, our doubts and concerns and our fears and we have moments, you know, maybe on a Sunday morning when we gather and we sing together and you feel your heart lifted, you feel faith. And then by Monday morning, that can all so easily dissipate and we're again grumbling and complaining and moaning. We stop trying to fix things ourselves. We get frustrated and we're just like, like these guys. You read this story in, uh, in Exodus 14. So this is just after the... Passover, so they're, they're now leaving Egypt, they're heading towards the Red Sea, um, but they're scared because they're being pursued by the Egyptians. So the Israelites, they turn to Moses and they say, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now that's bleak, isn't it? You know, they've really, really gone to a dark place. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And to fully understand how desperate and bleak a statement is this, that they were slaves. 
in Egypt. That's what the Israelites were. They were slaves. They were brutally oppressed. The book of Exodus starts in chapter 1 with Pharaoh killing the firstborn in their family. That's how, the big, that's how Moses gets his name, because he was put in this basket, and he was hidden away, put into the river, and, and drifted off. That's, what the story, that's how the story begins. Brutally oppressed, horribly. And yet they say, oh, we'd, rather, we'd prefer that than, than, than God's plan. And yet we so often do exactly the same. You know, we sin and we make mistakes. And then we re- repent and we turn our back. Say, I'm not going to live that way anymore. And then we find ourselves back in that way of life again. And we've done exactly the same thing. We've, we've been set free and yet we voluntarily choose to go back into slavery because we believe the lie that it's better for us. When the reality is, it's not. It's not. It's just the same affliction that the Egyptians suffered from. And this story is really, I guess the best way to understand it when it reflects on us is it's, it's a living story. It's not just a story from history, but it's something that's alive today. So when the Jews who still celebrate Passover and share the meal together, they always talk about, about uh, how they were brought out, how we have been redeemed out of Egypt they don't talk about them and those people thousands of years ago. They bring it into the present. They talk about themselves today. It's a, it's a living story. They're reflecting the language of the Bible. It says in, in Amos, also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness. This was written 500, maybe 1,000 years after the story, but God again speaks to his people and says it was, it was you. <laughs> All the time, the Bible is bringing us back into this story and saying it's so intimately about us, about how God is leading us out of our Egypt and into our promised land. It's not just a story from the past. It's a living story. It's alive today in our lives. Because it's not just a, a, a past event of salvation. It's a present event of salvation. See, in Exodus, we discover this story, which isn't just about the people of God a few thousand years ago, but it's about us. As it said in that video, how God draws us out to draw us into his promises. The story is so powerfully about us. And it's the story of, it's the story of salvation, the story of salvation. And Exodus isn't just a story of salvation. It's, it's the story of salvation. It's, it's where the, the, we first understand this idea of deliverance and redemption. It's where the Bible first begins to bring that out, where the gospel is suddenly birthed in the message and begins to come alive for us. And the New Testament understands it as, as not just a story of salvation a, f- a few thousand years ago, but as a story of salvation that is about Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So it takes Jesus' story and puts it right in the middle of the Exodus story. 
It says that those lambs, spotless lambs that were sacrificed, as we saw on that video, the blood was painted on the doors. As it says in Hebrews, the blood was sprinkled on those door frames. It says, no, that, was, that, was, that reflects on us, that gives us this beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us, that he is our Passover lamb. His blood was shed on our behalf to save us from death, the slavery to sin, that we now have our own Passover lamb, and it's Christ. You see, because all through the Old Testament, and again and again, you'll find this beautiful gospel story coming to life. In Paul's letter to the Romans, right at the start, this is how Paul introduces it. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the Old Testament, the Holy Scriptures have this promise. Sometimes it's kind of a bit underneath the surface, bubbling away, but it's there all the time. And sometimes it comes out into life explicitly, like in the Exodus story. It's this beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us, the price he paid for us, how he rescued us. And that's really the, the central theme of the whole book of Exodus. Even the word Exodus itself means departure of God's deliverance of his slaves and called out into his promise, bringing us to himself through his redemption. And all, all the time kind of foreshadowing, giving us a picture of this greater exodus that was to come, this greater deliverance that was to work out when Jesus came to rescue us, to draw us out. See, because without the exodus story, it would be a lot harder for us to really understand the full power and effect of the gospel. It would be, we wouldn't be able to really see the full depth of what Jesus has done for us. In Exodus 6, it says, wait, well, that's Hebrews 11. It's not Exodus 6, is it? That's not Exodus 6 either. Nor is that. This is Exodus 6. There we go. It says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. Again, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I'll take you to be my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. See there in Exodus chapter six, this is even before the Passover, gives us this promise, this kind of double promise that God brings to the Israelites and says, I'm gonna bring you out out of your slavery, I'm going to deliver you, and I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to call you into my purposes and my plans. And that's what the Exodus story, the central theme is this idea of deliverance and redemption. And you might think, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, you might think that's very religious, um, may even sound to you a bit kind of arrogant language to be delivered. You might think, well, what do I need deliverance from? I remember when I was preaching on these, these verses in Exodus 6 about 18 months ago, 
guy was here in the congregation. He spoke to me afterwards and said, um, he said, I'm an atheist. He said, I thought it was really interesting what you said. He said, I can understand how church is important for needy people. <laughs> and I thought, all right, mate, you know, hold off. <laughs> and I, uh, I only had a few moments with him over a coffee. Um, I didn't want to kind of come down with fire and judgment on him. But I wanted to say to him, you're needy too, right? That's what we need to understand, is that we're all helpless, really. If we really examine our hearts and our lives. But we're not trained to think like that. In our world, we're trained to think that we can find all the sufficiency we need, everything we need to achieve all that we want, we can find within ourselves. Even people's... Today, any hunger people have any spirituality in our city, people try and find it within themselves. If I want to find God even, I have to look in here. If I want to find any meaning or purpose, I look inside of myself. But that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity isn't about searching deeper within ourselves, but actually coming to Jesus and laying all our worries and burdens and ourselves at his feet and saying, actually, it's all about you. It's about your plans and purposes. And all of us, whether we like it or not, we all need deliverance. None of us are able to save ourselves. None of us are able to. We're all helpless before God. We all need a savior to come and redeem us. Because even for those here who are believers, we, we forget this so often because we keep trying. That's the, that's the default position of our heart is to, is to try a bit harder. But this story of Exodus tells us that, that we can't, but God can. And he will and he has. That's a story that we need to know in our lives. And you might disagree with me, but maybe... A helpful way to consider it is if, if you go kind of back in time and you consider maybe yourself five years ago, and if you're anything like me, five years ago, I had a pretty impressive plan for my life and, and a plan for who I wanted to be in five years' time. Because, you know, we, we make mistakes or we do things that we don't like uh, and we think, I'm not going to do that again. The future version of me will be different. The future version of me won't do that. He won't get angry. He won't lust. He won't sin. He's not going to be like that. Have you, ever, have you ever had that conversation with yourself? The future version of me. But then if maybe you stand here now and look back at the past version of you that said that and then reflect on yourself now compared to the future version of you that you planned out five years ago, how does that comparison work? How does that comparison work against your plan for your life, about how you were going to overcome all the issues and the troubles in your heart, about how you were going to achieve all these great things. And we realize, goodness, even the good things I've achieved, that's all just the grace of God. We all need help. We're all helpless. We all need a, a savior to draw us out, to lead us into deliverance and redemption. Because the wonderful story is it's, it's not just a story of deliverance, of pulling us out of a bad situation, but it's about redemption. 
Redemption is a, is a, a word that the Bible uses to describe something being brought at a price, that a price was paid for us, that a sacrifice took place for us. It says in Matthew 20, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus came to do. He gave his life as, as a ransom. He redeemed us. He paid a price for us. Your deliverance was brought at a price. And the cost of Jesus, our Passover lamb. Because really, if you go back to that story in Exodus 12 and 13, and you read about the Passover, and you can sometimes be disturbed and when you hear about the, how the angel of death, the destroyer, as it says in Hebrews 11, came and took the lives of those firstborn Egyptians. And yet we forget that that's what Pharaoh did in Exodus 1. He took the lives of the firstborn Israelites. But then we also forget that actually the best way to understand it is that someone actually died in every house. It wasn't just in the Egyptian homes, but in the Israelite homes. Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed. Does that make sense? Put, put yourself in that house, in your own home, and realize that someone died in your house as well to give you life, to ransom you, to pay a price, to set you free. And this deliverance and redemption, the wonderful thing is it's, it's all about grace. That's the wonderful thing is that it's, it's a free gift. It's what the gospel is. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's a free gift. It says in Romans, it's talking about us. It says we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He's redeemed us so that we can have this free gift of God's grace. It's free. And again, for even for you, if you're a believer here, you have to remind yourself of that all the time because we, we get back into that default position where we try and earn it, but we can't because it's, it's free. It's completely free. In Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is, not, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's a free gift. It doesn't cost us anything, but it costs Jesus everything. It's a free gift of our redemption, our deliverance. When we were utterly helpless... We were moaning and grumbling and complaining, just like the Israelites did. It wasn't that the Passover took place and God heard them mumbling and said, well, that's a, you're not getting through the Red Sea. You can come Moses, but these people, they're, not, they're moaning too much. <laughs> they can stay here behind. No, God, even though they were saying, actually, they wanted to stay behind, God reached down and grabbed hold of them 
and drew them out. It's exactly the same as what's happened to us. Even sometimes when we've not wanted to, he's reached down and he's grabbed us to draw us out, to draw us into him, into his plans. Because as we'll find out as the story goes on, it, there's, this, there's now a pilgrimage that takes place. There's a journey that takes place. A journey into God, into the promised land, into his plans, into his purposes. See, because God, he draws us out from our slavery, the sin and the darkness, so he can draw us in to his presence and to his purposes and to the light of his grace. Let me pray and then we're going to sing some songs of worship together. Jesus, we, we thank you for this story and we're, we're really looking forward to studying it over the next weeks and months because we know within this story we find not only ourselves but more importantly we find the story of you and what you've done for us. This wonderful deliverance and redemption this free gift of grace that you've given us. God, and we want this story to, to, uh, to get right into the roots of our lives. We thank you, that's, that's what your deliverance does. Lord, we see in these, those plagues that came, plague after plague after plague, and you think, surely God could have just, why did he have to wait all the way through to halfway through the book? It says in Exodus 2 that he'd, heard their cry and he'd remembered them. Why didn't he just act then? But it's because you were one by one, you were targeting all the evil, all the idols and the foreign gods, each plague taking out a different idol, each plague declaring your power over those things, your sovereignty over those things. It was a complete, total deliverance. No stone was left unturned. God, and we, we want that to be true of us, that you reach down into our heart. You don't just deal with the surface issues of our lives. We thank you your salvation reaches right into the very roots of our heart, deals with the things that we don't even want to talk about, and we don't even want to remember, the things we would rather try and forget. Thank you, God, that your grace has redeemed all of us, all of us, every bit. And we want to be those that uh, have been drawn out to be drawn into your presence, to know you, our Father in heaven, to walk with you into your purposes, to walk in your grace and the goodness, the wonder of who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.